Welcome to the Woman on a Mission podcast. Today is April 18th, 2020, and this is episode number 008. I'm here with Brendan, the CEO of Legacy of Hope International and the Woman on a Mission. This is her podcast recording all things low high and public health. Brendan has a master's degree in public health and a wealth of experience in the field of human services. My name is Derek B. and I'm your host today. Welcome, Brendan. Good to have you. As always, good to be here. So this new podcast coming out, you have a recording that you did with a lady over the telephone, and I'm going to have you explain a little bit and set this up of who you spoke with and what you spoke about before we get into the recording. So go ahead and let us know what to expect here. Yes, I had the pleasure of having a conversation with a colleague and good friend, um, partner, uh, Laura Beth. She is with the Reshma, excuse me, Reshma Project is how you say it. Um, And we'll learn a lot about that. It's a safe house in India, um, working with human trafficking victims. Um, Very exciting um, work that they do. Uh, Also, we work together um, with the mentoring program with Life 107 uh, that in another podcast, you'll learn more about at a later date. So uh, you also will probably hear a special guest of my family in the background, uh, which uh, seems like that's uh, common for most of us these days. And um, I'm kind of thankful for that. It, it gives us the freedom to continue to work from home and do what needs to be done during hard times. So without further ado, I uh, look forward to you learning and listening and uh, hearing from Laura Beth. And here we go. Hope you enjoy. Thank you again, Laura Beth, for um, being able to adjust your schedule and uh, spend some time um, with us today. And um, excited to get to know you a little bit more because we have, I guess, for about a year, been Mm kind of in and out, getting to know each other um, through different events. Um, So I look forward to kind of touching base on that. And if you don't mind for our listeners, kind of you know, give us your name, uh, your position. You have many positions, which I understand. <laughs> and uh, true, if you yeah. want to, oh, I'm sorry. I said, yeah, that's kind of true. I do have a few things going on, so. Which is good, which is good. Um, so yeah, just start with like your name and uh, a couple of things that, um, you know, you want to talk about, if, you know, different positions that you have and your experience or specialties. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, my name is Laura Beth Rimmer, but a lot of people call me LB, so feel free during this podcast if you want to. Um, but I am originally from England. I was there most of my son, sort of like childhood, but I did live in Ecuador for four years as a missionary kid with my family. Um, and then I moved to the U.S. when I was 19, and I've been here for about 12 years now. So this is definitely home for me. Um, But otherwise, I work for an organization called Youth with a Mission here in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, And I've been with them ever since I came to the U.S. So uh, with them, I do a lot of administration. I handle our international visas, um, but also I head up our anti-trafficking ministry focus, which is called the Reshma Project. Uh, So really this project, we've had it going on Uh, since 2016 is when it was pioneered, um, just really to help women come out of a a life of slavery. Uh, So for me, it's really been a bit of an unconventional journey and in how I've gotten into this position and just the road I've taken to get here. So it's all been through sort of hands-on experience and doing internships um, in India 
uh, to work with the women there, um, but also taking courses, doing a lot of research and um, just kind of connecting and doing a lot of networking with other anti-trafficking ministries is kind of how I've gotten to this place of heading this project up um, and just, yeah, continuing down this road. So. So what I think is interesting is I actually um, saw the little video, the Rishma video, the Rishma mm -hmm. project video to be exact, and I uh, didn't realize that you were, I guess, kind of one of the founders that got mm -hmm. it started. Is that correct? Yes, there was a few of us that, that founded it together. And that was during your internship with um, YWAM? No, this was actually while I was on staff with YWAM. Um, so this happened back in 2016. I'd already been in the mission for quite a long time, about seven years at that point, seven, eight years. Um, and we were staffing, I was helping staff an outreach to India. Um, so there was a discipleship training school going on with YWAM that I was helping work with. Um, and we took them to India for two months. So during that time, when we were in Mumbai, um, that was kind of when the Reshma project was founded. Um, so it was definitely a group of us kind of coming together and praying about it and just waiting on the Lord. Um, and he's the one who obviously kind of birthed it through us. So, so that's wonderful. And I, I understand that. So it sounds like that you kind of stumbled across this project and it looks like from the video and for conversations, brief conversations we've had about it, Rishma was actually a young lady that mm -hmm. um, y'all helped and that's how it started. Is, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so basically, um, when we went to Mumbai that year in 2016, we had already been praying as a team for many years just about what we could do to fight trafficking. And um, I had just walked through this journey of, um, like I said, doing a lot of internships, praying, um, researching all of that, um, but never really felt like there was a releasing um, of this is what I need to do to fight it. Um, so when we went that summer, we had been working alongside another ministry in India, which I won't say their name for safety reasons, um, but we had been working with a ministry for many years there, and they work in the red light area of Mumbai, uh, and they help women. They meet with them on a day-to-day -day basis. So I had been out there many times before, but on this particular trip, we met a girl called Reshma, and she had been in the brothel since she was 13 years old, um, 19 when we met her. And through this ministry, uh, they had been training her in tailoring uh, because she was wanting to leave the brothels and didn't really have a way to get out, which is, you know, the cases we know from many women. So she was taking a tailoring course and she had already paid off her debt to the brothel. Uh, but the only thing holding her back from actually walking into a life of freedom was her own sewing machine. So she needed her own sewing machine so that she could start her own business and therefore be able to make money and have a sustainable lifestyle outside of the, the red light district. So we kind of came together and we all just threw money in a pot, our whole team, and raised the money for a sewing machine for her. So six months after we met her and kind of every, everything sort of started is when she graduated the tailoring program and was gifted with the machine. So after that, I got to go visit her again and just seeing the difference in who she was as an individual from the first time we had met her. Uh, she had started off as just so downcast, like would never really look you in the eye. You could just tell she didn't have any hope and uh, there was nothing for her to kind of look forward to in her future. To the second time I got to spend time with her, like she ran over, gave me this big hug, had this big old smile on her face. And she, she pulled me over to show me her sewing machine and how she like was so good at tailoring 
Um, and we chatted in my very broken Hindi and her broken English. And it was just this connection moment of seeing like, wow, buying a sewing machine can actually help purchase someone's freedom, basically, mm-hmm. um, and, and just kind of give them that launch that they need to move into that, that next stage of their life. So now Reshma is back in her hometown. Um, she's got her own business going. Uh, she's got the customers that she needs in order to have that sustainable lifestyle. Um, and she's doing really well. Um, yeah, she's just kind of kept on trekking on and walked through this, this time of healing. Uh, and it's just amazing. See, so through that, we saw, hey, this is so possible. How can we be, how can we be a part Um, So really, we've joined hands with this ministry so that we can help see more women come out of that life of captivity. Um, But it's not about just seeing them walk into that place of freedom physically, but it's it's everything. It's the emotional side. It's the spiritual side, the mental side, all these different aspects that make us human. um, That it's got to be freedom in all of these different areas of their lives, and it's got to be sustainable. So that's kind of how the Reishma Project was launched and um, we've been doing some work, like continuing to do work in Mumbai, but we're spreading into doing some stuff in the Middle East and North Africa. And we're trying to do stuff locally here of, you know, just a lot of raising awareness and educating so that we can help be a part of prevention work. That is a beautiful redemption story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what a blessing. Oh, so many ways to be a part of that because I don't know from y'all's experience, but from the experience I've had, that is not the norm. Um, but have y'all seen that more um, with the Rishma project? Yeah. So obviously relapse is, is huge, as you know, in um, the anti-trafficking world. Um, but for us, I think because the ministry we work with are so, um, so focused on building that relationship Uh, with the girl. So taking them from the brothel straight into a restoration home. So there's no, there's no lapse in between. Uh, And then they actually walk them through the education that they need. And I think another big aspect is, is often we think that, oh, hey, let's offer them this opportunity. Like let's offer them tailoring Mm -hmm. or let's offer them, you know, they can work in a beauty salon. Like let's give them these two different opportunities because we have the people that can maybe man those, you know, but with the Reishma project and with this ministry we work with, it doesn't focus on that. It focuses on what does the girl want to do? And she Mm. might go through a series of like, Oh, I want to be a jewelry maker. And then figures out that's not for her at all. And then she (laughs) decides on something else. And so helping them go to that place of getting the education they need and what they want to do really empowers them. I think to take a hold of the freedom for themselves. Um, And I think the other aspect of it is it takes time I think it can be very easy for us to get so impatient and, and want to have a timeline for their healing and their restoration, but really it's got to be on them. Um, you know, like for example, mm-hmm. there's one girl right now who has been through the restoration home. She is now living um, a bit more independently because after the restoration home, they can go into like a group home with just like two or three other ladies. And that's where she'll start learning to pay the bills and learning how to grocery shop and just doing those kind of normal adulting things. Um, so that's kind of like the second phase of the process. And she's, this girl is in that process right now. Her name, her pseudonym is Sheila. Um, and she has just loved doing baking, like baking is her passion. So she has walked through this training of, um, at a bakery, 
And she's now at a point in her life where she is able to train other girls who are coming out of the brothels to bake. Uh, and her healing and her restoration process has looked pretty quick. Um, she's just very emotionally resilient. Um, she's just opened up so much in counseling. So she's kind of like another success story um, of that sort of not putting a timeline on it. Um, but then you have other girls who it takes years and years and years before they can get to a point where they are, you know, in a more sort of sound mind place and they're able to really move forward. And that just depends on the trauma. It just depends on the individual. Um, I mean, we see girls who have been literally chained in an attic and not being able to, you know, see outside for years. And you can just imagine what that does to a person in, in every aspect, you know. So for her, like, that's going to take many, many years to overcome um, and be able to be launched back into society. Um, compared to other people, you know, you just have to take it person by person. And even the relapses are something that's so hard to swallow. Um, I think it's also one of those things that is a part of the process. And that's where I, for me personally, as someone who gets very invested in these girls' stories, I just have to remember to hold every one of them like open-handed before the Lord, uh, mm. because otherwise it becomes so devastating but I'm not here to save, you know, I have to leave that to the true savior and let that be his job. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so there's, a, it seems like there's a lot of, and I have some other friends that do um, ministry or have organizations in mm -hmm. India. And it sounds like there's a lot of overlap of what some of the girls and even boys are going through, especially in the red light district. Um, which brings another subject um, that I didn't think about that I wanted to didn't even think about asking um, is that have y'all run into because I know in Cambodia and in Thailand um, a lot of the boys they make them where they can be boys or girls depending on what the client's needs are in the red districts and it's just um, heartbreaking because we're talking about um, you know, four and five-year-olds that have no idea of anything about gender um, and are being abused and taken advantage of and trafficked. Yeah. Have, have y'all run into that? And um, does this other organization or do y'all try to help when you come across that? Yeah, so um, I can't speak hugely on the subject, but just kind of little pieces that I know about is, for example, child prostitution in India is something that the police will uh, really track down and and deal with, which is amazing. Um, but at the same time, child prostitution is so underground uh, that you don't really see um, children walking along the streets who are in prostitution in India. Uh, it's more the sort of just women or um, as in like Thailand, you have like the lady boys. So you have like a lot of eunuchs in the red light districts of India as well. And you even have specific areas that it's just eunuchs. So, um, mm -hmm. but yes, yeah, so you don't really see children around. So you're not really seeing that grooming process necessarily happening. You do see children in the brothels and you know that they're going to be raised into that. Um, but it's not like you just see a kid being sold on the side of the road, kind of, which is kind of different. Um, Cause I know, I've, you know, I've been to Thailand before and worked in the anti- trafficking stuff there and you do see kids a lot more there just kind of on the side of the roads and you you know that's what's happening so I do know it's going on um but yeah you do see kind of more the you see more just like you have your areas where it's just women 
and that's all it is. And then you have your areas, like I said, where you do have like your unique sort of colonies of the red light areas. Um, so that's kind of more what you would see in India that I've experienced at least. So. Okay. Okay. Now the Rishma project, what, what I thought from, you know, hearing you talk just a few minutes ago, which was interesting and I think very wise, and I'm not sure every um, survivor assistant program does it that way. One, I love that y'all open to partnership. I think that's always wise. Um, I think that that's very clear, especially as a believer yeah. that, that we partner, we're all part of the same body. So it makes us stronger when we work together, but just in general, um, networking is always wise, um, no yeah. matter what. But would you say one of the things that helps y'all is that there's a relationship on the ground in the brothel area before they even would come into or even talk about the um, program? 100%. Yes. I think that connection is so vital to this process because it, it starts to build that level of trust. And that's something that the women have never really been able to experience before is trust. You know, they have men come in every single day who just use and abuse them and then walk out the door, even if it's this, you know, the same customers that they have time and time again. Um, there's there's no trust there. They've not most of them have never really experienced that having been sold into the brothels, um, having been raised in the brothels. It, you don't have that um that healthy, those healthy relationships and trust is a part of that. So I believe it's just so important to start to build that with them so that when they come into the restoration home, when they move into the group home, you're showing them this is what healthy relationship looks like. And that starts to break down the walls, which really enables them to start healing. Um, so for me, I, I just think that that is vital to the whole process. Uh, and even then, like you will see women after, after years, just starting to learn how to trust, you know, and, and seeing that, oh, I can open up to this person who has been walking with me and has shown me that they are here no matter what, and just having that commitment to them. So does that kind of answer your question of, of that? No, that, that was, that was great. You answered it very clearly. <laughs> so you had mentioned also counseling is obviously um, part of it. Do y'all specialize in trauma informed um, variety of type of counseling? Is it counseling um, of like, are they Indian descent um, and, and local there, or is it kind of change? How does that work yeah, for y'all? So um, the ministry that we work with handles all of the counseling side of things. Uh, they have professional counselors come in to meet with the girls on a regular basis because um, we believe that, that is so important. Um, but one thing I love about this is that there, it's predominantly Indians who are on the staff. Um, and I think that that's so important just in the sense of they understand the culture already. They know the mindset there. Um, they can really, I mean, as Westerners, we can go over and live there for years and start to understand bits and pieces. But Indian to Indian, I think there's, um, there's a weight that comes with that. Uh, so primarily it'll be Indians who are, who are counseling them through this process. Good, good. I, I absolutely agree. Um, because the other thing is, is even, and you can probably testify to this, I know with my traveling and when I have been places, um, even if I learn the language and I'm starting to learn some of the cultural norms, it's yeah. not the same. I'm, I'm, you know, just another person from another country and um, I'm always going to have a bias whether I want yeah. to or not. 
And not to mention, I know from Loha's perspective, one of the things I'm passionate about and our group is passionate about is that, you know, one day we might not be able Mm -hmm. to be there. So if it's not something that the locals want or need, um, and they're not leading it, then we need to refocus because we're not helping. We're only yeah, 100%. And I think the amazing thing, and this is why I love like studying a little bit on like kingdom, kingdom culture, because I think that, you know, in the Indian culture, they have aspects that they could really take from the American British mindset, you know, and some of our cultural aspects and perspectives that would really help in the process, but equally for our side to take pieces from their culture and experiences and use that for ourselves. And so I think there can be pieces of that, but yeah, I agree. I just think that when you know, and you have been ingrained in something for years, you know, the ways that people need to heal more. Uh, And that's something I really learned, um, during a course that I took on fighting trafficking is just that cultures heal differently to other cultures. Um, And just thinking of like Mm -hmm. India, for example, is a community-based culture. Um, Everything is done with people around them all the time, you know? And so for them, like being in a restoration home with 20 other girls, it works really well because they're in that community. Um, Sometimes maybe even like, in counseling sessions here, like it's all that one-on-one where we're very independent culture and it just needs to be that one-on-one. That's how I heal is by myself or with one other person kind of coaching me through. But, but in these other cultures, it's like, let's have tons of people around. Um, and that actually helps in the process too. So we would never think of that necessarily, you know, as Westerners. Um, so I think it's great. And then the other aspect is for them being in India, like most of these women, probably don't want to end up in another country per se. Some might, but a lot of them won't. Um, And so for them to be able to actually, to start this cycle of actually going in and helping other women who have been through those same journeys that they have been in and helping them through that process. So seeing girls train other girls coming out of the brothels, seeing women be able to come alongside of girls who are trying to you know, come out of this life of captivity and they've experienced that themselves and are walking in that full restoration place, able to come alongside them, they get it, you know? So I just, I think that that is vital in the process too. Yeah. So do you know if they use like a trauma and board type of counseling at all? Like if they've been trained in some of that? I don't know the specific type of training that they've had. I just know it's professional counselors. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, I know for a long time, um, some of the other organizations that we work with, because we don't have a safe house, um, but we actually do prevention work where we have a safe place for those that might be at risk so they can go to school and have options and it's, it's That's you know, cool. kids. Um, but what I've seen is it was in Cambodia, at least it was very hard. Um, and still is because they didn't, because of the Khmer Rouge mm-hmm. and the genocide, they didn't have you know, graduates till about 10 years ago. Um, if even that, I don't even know if it was that. I think doctors were maybe 10 years ago and counseling was maybe just seven years ago. So um, that's awesome. That is that's a huge asset and uh, makes a huge difference. So yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Now, I'm curious, because it sounds like you started with Youth with a Mission, YWAM as administrative work, like that's kind of your strength, <laughs> I'm guessing. And then you stumbled into human trafficking or was it the opposite? Um, 
what was the last part you said? Sorry. So did you stumble into human trafficking? Um, like, so yeah, administration is definitely um, one of my giftings and I absolutely love it. So I guess that's good. That, that goes hand in hand. But um, for me, it's kind of been a side by side thing, I would say. Um, and just to be kind of open and honest, because I think that uh, it can be easy to just talk about kind of the work that we do and all of that. But for me, this is very personal. Uh, and so growing up in Ecuador for four years as a missionary kid, that's where I really fell in love with wanting to work uh, and fight for injustice because uh, my parents worked with orphans and um, kids on the street. Uh, and so after school, like my parents would take me to the orphanage where they were working. My mom was a nurse there. My dad did a lot of like maintenance um, for the buildings. And I would just go and sit and play with with these babies after school and just hearing some of the stories as a kid. So that really gave me a heart for, for, you know, those who were in impoverished situations or in vulnerable places. Uh, And so when I was 13, um, we had planned to stay in Ecuador for another year, but one night um, in the summertime, my mom and my brother and a friend of ours were abducted uh, and the women were raped and thankfully, they came back safe and sound. And uh, but that kind of launched my family into to fleeing Ecuador and to move back to England, mm-hmm. so that my mom and my brother, in particular, could have that counseling and walk through um, a healing process and just be in kind of a safe, physical safe space. So uh, for me, that mm-hmm. kind of launched me into my teenage years, and I really wrestled with it for many, many years, until I was nineteen, and I was. No, sorry, backtrack. I was 17 um, and I was still in high school or as we call it secondary school. uh, And I got ill for about nine months uh, and the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And so I was just laying on my bed one day and I literally had been walking through years of just anger towards the Lord and not really wanting to walk out in faith at all. So I, that one day I kind of came before, (laughs) before God and was like, uh, if the doctors can't work out what's wrong with me, I'm either going to die or they're going to figure it out and I'm going to be good. But I don't want to continue living like I'm living. Like I want to start living with a purpose. Uh, and the next week I went to a doctor and he figured out what was going on and was able to to walk me through that journey. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'm living with purpose now. And so right after that, um, I was looking into kind of what I could do after secondary school, I actually quit school due to that sickness Uh, and I found out about YWAM for my mom or youth with a mission that's the acronym for it so I found out about YWAM I came and joined and that actually launched me into my personal healing journey for everything that had happened in Ecuador I had just stuffed everything Mm. down and and pushed it to the bottom because I wanted my family to get the healing that they needed and I thought that that was what I needed to do to be helpful was to just kind of stuff and pretend everything was okay. So I didn't really go through any counseling. Um, And then when I joined YWAM, I started hearing about trafficking and I was walking through all of this, um, just kind of sifting through everything that had happened and was able to get that discipleship and that mentorship that I needed um, in order to really get that, that healing emotionally that I needed. So I'm hearing about trafficking, I'm walking through this healing, um, I'm growing in my different giftings and, you know, that kind of thing. And so that sort of is what launched me into wanting to fight uh, in the trafficking industry. So that kind of launched me into just doing a lot of research, praying, you know, 
going to to India and interning with a ministry there for a little bit, um, as well as growing in my administration skills and being able to use that on the YWAM base um, and doing like the visas and all of that kind of stuff. So everything's been kind of like this, you know, I would grow in one area of administration, but then I'd also be learning about trafficking and trying to gain skills with that too. So it's been this sort of hand in hand thing through the whole time. So. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. How, how old were you when this happened? Yeah, I, if I'm asked. I just turned 13 a few weeks before. Yeah. Wow. And so how My old is your brother? Was yeah. And our oh. friend who was also there, she was 19 at the time. So. Was she, was she yeah, safe as well? Was, everyone was safe. They were, um, they were, they were threatened to be killed and they were like beaten up and all of that. But um, yeah, they were all safe. So that was good. Would, would you say your brother is, is been able to move on and, and healed from this? Or is this something we still need to be praying for um, him? It's definitely obviously been a horrible journey for him. Um, I would say he's right. in an amazing place right now. I mean, yeah, I would still definitely say let's pray for him. Um, but it's, <laughs> I would say just seeing where he is now, even compared to like seven, eight years ago is just amazing. He's really taken in his stride and um, has grown in his faith so deeply. He got married a few years ago um, to a girl from Germany who's just lovely. And so um, seeing them being able to just continue on in this, um, him kind of laying things down and walking through that process as well with with her by his side, um, he's in a really great place. So, yeah. Yeah. I would just that say, is huge. That yeah. is huge. Sorry, I was going to say as well, Go just ahead. like for my mom, for example, um, she has just been incredible. Like I cannot imagine if I had personally gone through that, how I would be <laughs> just seeing how I reacted to it with it being my family, but seeing my mom, how she just, she never questioned the Lord. She never got angry at him. Uh, she literally, it grew her faith insanely. Uh, so she is just my inspiration in this whole process of no matter what, like she knew God had called us to Ecuador and she never questioned that. Um, she is the one that was really our glue, even though she had walked through that whole process, you know? And so it's just a, it's a beautiful testimony, um, of someone just laying their life down before the Lord and letting him lead and guide them through a healing process. And I just, I can't say enough about her. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, and to have that as an example yeah, in your life of what it can be, and I guess in some ways what it should be, but it, was that made in some ways, did that make it harder to go through your healing because you're, you were comparing yourself? No. Um, I think because my mom is so gentle, um, in spirit. So I never felt that comparison. I think I just felt an encouragement by her. Um, and it was, she's never someone who kind of pushes things down your throat. You know what I mean? So it was, it was always done so gently and gracefully of like, uh, and because it was her healing journey as well, like I never kind of put that into a comparison place between me or even with just how my brother was doing. I think it was very much treated of like, this is each of our own individual journeys. And no matter how long it takes or what we have to do, um, we need to support each other in that, um, in those places. So. That's wonderful. That's great. That's great. But it sounds like you, you didn't really have a lot of guilt and things that some people would have had. It was more, 
um, other other things that were coming up that, you know, being a 13-year-old yeah, alone, and I can't imagine. I did struggle with some guilt as because I almost did go on that journey. Um, I like, I asked my mom, like, can I come with you to take our friend home? And she thought about it for a minute and then she's like, no, you should probably go to bed, which looking back on it now, like those were summer months and it was only like 830 in the evening and I was 13. So kind of no reason for me not to go, you know, Um, but now I just see it was totally the Lord's hand on keeping me safe. Um, So I did struggle a little bit at times with that guilt of like, well, I was supposed to be there, you know, and then maybe I could understand more of what my mom's walking through too. So I did deal a little bit with that. Um, but I think the Lord really, really did cover me. So. Yeah. Amen. So I really can see where this would really the human trafficking, um, and healing and even how we've kind of gotten to know each other some through, um, Mm -hmm. like 107, um, summit before that, um, doing that for those aren't familiar with the summit. The summit was a, a training that we partnered with an amazing group of people in North Carolina at Mars Hill. And uh, that's how I met Laura Beth. She came in and kind of helped <laughs> save the fun. day. <laughs> uh, you were, it was a, such a blessing. Um, we had a new state manager, Jennifer, who's doing a great job. Um, but we definitely need some other hands on deck um, to make sure things went smoothly. And, and y'all definitely did that. Uh, but it also makes sense too, because with Life 107, you know, yeah. we've been doing different trainings and you've really covered, you know, you've done some things with self-care, um, boundaries, and even our own expectations of ourselves or others that I thought was a good thing maybe to cover if, if you don't mind getting into some of that. Because one of my passions is not only the prevention of trafficking and, um, you know, hopefully, you know, working, continue to work with those that are either at risk or are, um, you know, coming out of it, but also the workers, because I saw very earlier, early in my life with domestic violence, that um, being in different shelters, that the workers aren't trained, they often don't have the, it's changed now, but back then, a long time ago, um, they didn't have the the help themselves to deal with things um, or know how to deal with things or know what to expect. And self-care was never talked about. Um, quite often, you know, now it's, a, you know, prevention of secondhand trauma is one of the things that is huge in my heart that I've had the pleasure of doing some work with. Um, but there's so much in every person um, there's so much to just, you know, to do with that. And uh, every person's different. You know, do you mind diving yeah, into so that a little bit? Definitely. This is still a process for me. Uh, naturally, I am, I err on the intense side as an individual and uh, don't enjoy resting very much. Uh, it's very hard for me to sit still and to not do something. Uh, so for years that has, and still, I, and I, I'm pretty sure I will fight this my whole life <laughs> just because it's, I, I think that's part of who I'm made to be naturally, you know, is always on the go, always doing research, reading and um, trying to better myself almost, you could say, and wanting to learn more all the time. But I've also learned that nobody can, can go on and on and on like that um, without taking things in and taking care of themselves. And you know, it's always funny because you hear about like the quote of like, if you don't love yourself, you can't love others well. And um, I think it's kind of something that goes hand in hand. Like it's, 
you can never get to that place where you're, you know, 100% whole almost like that's always going to be a journey for each of us. Um, but we can still always be reaching out to other people. Uh, so for me, this process has very much been figuring out like, how do I rest? How do I take care of myself personally? And it can look very different from person to person. Uh, but for me, as an example, uh, like I said, I'm someone who always likes to try and be bettering myself. Uh, and so the moments where I am able to rest, it was still, okay, I have to accomplish something. Uh, so I was talking to my best friend who has kind of helped me walk through this journey. Um, she's someone who knows how to rest well. <laughs> And she would just be like, hey, I, th I think you need to rethink about how you're resting because you seem to still be tired all the time. So for me, it went into this place of like, OK, I, I need to not be accomplishing something in order to fully let my physical being rest and to let my mind actually shut off. And I think as people who are fighting trafficking, it is such a, a hard and dark industry. Um, I don't think we realize how dark of a place it is until we really start working to fight it and the more re research that we do and when we walk on the ground by the brothels and the red light areas around the world and um, we see the darkness firsthand I don't think we realize how much it can take a toll on us uh, physically um, emotionally spiritually and so I, I just believe that self-care is so important in this because we have to be able to be in that right mindset in order to reach out and to go back every time to the brothels and, and work with the women or go back and do another set of research. Um, so I, I just think that that's so important. And I remember hearing this lady talk one time in this course that I took, and she was talking about self-care. And her thing was, literally, you just need to learn how to laugh. Um, and I think it's so true, because we do uh, oftentimes when we're in this intense environment, it's very easy to stay intense and to stay in those places of, um, you know, not being lighthearted and not being joyful. And we're just always seeing this stuff, but being able to just watch a comedy or be able to go have a laugh with your friends. And even just like in the midst of talking about stuff about trafficking, like it's okay to have those moments of laughter. It's such a serious topic. Um, and it's not belittling that, but I think that we as humans need to be able to be lighthearted in those moments because it alleviates and takes some of that pressure off of this really heavy topic that we're, we're always talking about and always looking more into. So I believe laughter is, is huge for that. Um, but I think it's also having boundaries as well. Like uh, for myself, for example, I know that if I'm up until one in the morning, researching trafficking, that's probably not going to be the best for me mentally right before going to bed. Other people, that might be fine, you know, but it's it's finding out where your own boundaries are um, in this arena uh, and just making sure that you're you're following those guidelines for yourself and having the accountability of someone who knows you um, and can tell you, like my best friend, she'll be like, hey, probably a good time to stop right now or whatever. It's just very important to have those people in our lives that can help balance our personalities and who we are out a little bit. Um, it, yeah, it just is very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if someone is listening and whether they're a survivor or someone who is working in the, the industry of anti-trafficking, maybe um, is an intern, maybe is a counselor, maybe is just a staff person or a volunteer, and they're hearing this going, 
but how can I do that when I'm, you know, I'm dealing with this person that's become, you know, like a sister or like a friend um, and aren't I cheapening, you know, what they've been through, like that, that guilt that can be there. How do you suggest or what are your suggestions for someone that might be in that situation yeah, so I that think might be listening? We're, you know, working with people who have walked through this process. And the thing is, I think that also goes back to relationship as we build relationship with, with, with each other, it builds that trust. And so, you know, a woman who is a survivor, um, she's, and, and we're walking with her or have been walking with her. I think it's one of those things that she, she will eventually know that like where our hearts are. Uh, I think we can always express our hearts to other people. And, you know, I, I think that I'm trying to think how to word this exactly. Um, Like, I I think it's very, like, people know that we have to tend to ourselves as well as to other people. And so I just, I think that when you're in that conversation with other people, and like I said, building that trust platform, they're going to know where your heart is because you have been spending that, that time with them. So I never think that there will be an accusation of cheapening. I mean, there could be, um, but I think that would be coming out of a different place rather than knowing your heart. Does that make sense? Like, um, I think yeah, yeah. Well, if someone's <laughs> dealing with, <laughs> that's no, I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, dealing, if someone's dealing with guilt is what it comes down to, you know, then it's that person needs to pause and go, yeah. why, where is this guilt coming from? Why am I feeling it? Uh, which is hard to do because then you're dealing with the yeah. root cause of that guilt. It seems like it's because, you know, you're wanting, to, and I'm an intense person. So I understand. I think that's one of the reasons we click. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, when you're, you're working with someone that's, whether it's domestic violence or trafficking, and they've been beaten down so much, you, it's what you said earlier too, you want to be their savior. It's just natural, but you can't be anyone's savior. One, they've got to do their own healing and their own work. So then you have to do the same way. Why do I have a savior, (laughs) which is actual technical term, a savior, you know, attitude towards this, um, you know, why am I taking this on? Because no one can save the world. I mean, thankfully, as a as a Christian, we know that God, the great I am that created us with a plan and purpose yeah. before the foundation of the world is the only one that can truly save and, and heal. But we've each have to accept that. Absolutely. And it takes steps. Yeah. It takes baby steps. That's so true. And I think it's, no. sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no matter what. Well, I was just going to say, Go ahead, that's it. <laughs> like you said, of recognizing where that guilt is coming from, because, you know, as Christians as well, it's um, okay. Well, is this actually from the enemy? Is he trying to bring shame on me for something right now that is just an attack of, you know, from him? Or is there something deeper going on right now that I, I need to deal with in a different way? So I think that what you said is very key in this whole process for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, in, in either way, whether you're a believer or not a believer, um, yeah. you can have the savior attitude um, where, and it can be for different reasons. And you need to question that. Um, and because you can help people 
and not um, have that. And I think being a guide, I love the word um, guide because to me that puts everything as a parent, as a um, friend, as um, a counselor, as a, a leader, director, whatever the label you want to call it. Um, it reminds me that a guide is someone yeah. who just kind of puts the information out there, maybe questions, and then leaves it there for that person to deal with. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that helped me the most when I look back over life. They were they yeah. were my guides. They were my teachers. Um, they weren't people who were telling me what I need to do, which is a lot of what you were talking with the Rishma project is it's y'all listen, you build that trust, you, you help them discover who they were created to be and what they're good at because that's never happened before. And that's where the empowerment really comes in. Whereas if we try to come in with a savior mentality, it's, it's not empowering for them as an individual. It's like, we're trying to, um, it can even come across as we're trying to get the glory sometimes too, you know, and we put all the pressure on ourselves and that's right. not healthy for it, for anybody involved. Right. Right. Well, um, it's been a joy. I think we could continue to talk. <laughs> yes. um, I know we can. <laughs> um, well, how could someone, if they want to get involved um, either with um, Youth with a Mission, YWAM, or with the Rishma Project. How can they get more information? Yeah, so we have uh, can um, you share a that? website, which is ywamashville.org. So that's Y-W-A-M, Asheville.org. Uh, and then there's also a separate website for the Rishma Project, which is just the rishmaproject.org. Uh, and there's a lot of information on there about kind of what we do, some recommendations um, of how to get more knowledge on fighting trafficking um, and there's a way you can contact us through there as well we have like a submission form um, and a big thing that we focus on is having people be sponsors for these women who are walking through that process of the restoration home the group home um, because financially that's one of the biggest reasons that women can't leave the brothels is is for financial reasons so one of the aspects we focus on is raising up sponsors for them so you'll see a lot about that on the on the website as well um, and within YWAM itself, we, we focus on three things. We focus on training people to be in missions. We focus on people who have um, been trafficked. And then we also focus on travelers because um, in Asheville, we have a lot of people who are traveling through. Um, we have a ministry to them. Great. Now, I, we didn't get a chance to really sure. go too deep into YWAM, but I want to make sure everyone knows it's listening is that it is, it is uh, nationwide, yes. but it's, it's global, isn't it? Organization. Yeah. So, and it's great. We've worked with them quite a bit. Um, I've had some friends uh, here in the States oh, as wonderful. well as um, in Cambodia. So um, yeah, always enjoy when I find out <laughs> it's like my heart pitter patters. I don't know. Uh, it's exciting. When someone says they're with YWAM. I'm like, Oh, you're with a great organization. Let's talk. <laughs> so, so wonderful. Well, um, many blessings, Laura Beth, and yeah, I'll look great. forward to so talking to you again soon. So is there anything you'd like to add to that conversation for your audience here today? Well, I hope everybody um, learned a lot and uh, was able to um, hear Laura Beth's passion for um, prevention of human trafficking and uh, just thank her for her boldness because um, her being able to share her personal 
stories of things that she even survived. Um, that was that was quite humbling and and wonderful and refreshing to hear. Um, you know why she ended up getting into human trafficking prevention and uh, how that all happened. So uh, please feel free to look um, down in the box, the description box. There's going to be quite a few links that she mentioned, uh, as well as some other information. And uh, always leave a comment. Let us know any questions that you have, um, anything you liked or didn't like. You know, we need to know. That's how we grow and change. And I hope you all have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining One Woman on a Mission podcast. Uh, check us out on com, uh, Legacy of Hope International website. Also, Instagram, Legacy of Hope International, Facebook, same thing. And uh, look forward to next time. Have a great week. And that wraps up episode 008 of Woman on a Mission podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Brendan, for your work and information you provide for the audience here today. We hope that you'll share this with your friends and family. Come back next week for another installment of this podcast. Uh, Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again. Bye-bye.